BBCC episode 16, my realization of the day. You know, I've lived in haunted houses before. I've seen some ghosts. Oh, yes, I have. There was this one house that I lived in, and the tenant passed away in the house, like, I don't know, it was like eight or nine years before we moved in. So it was kind of like, you know, whatever, and she didn't get, like, murdered or anything. She passed away, like, like in her, I think she was, like, hospice or in her sleep or whatever. But anyways, um, I would notice some, like, ghostly shit going on, just, like, you know, some sounds and then some, like, shadows in the doorway, shit like that. And then one morning, I'm getting ready for school, and I fucking go into the living room, and looking out the living room window, standing in the curtains, I see, like, a see-through shape of a person, like, I could tell it's a person, but see-through, like, 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 kind of, like, translucent a little bit, but, like, still, like, very faint, so, like, I mean, it's not, like, a full-on, like, you know, fucking ghost that I saw, but, I mean, it was a ghost, and she, she just kind of stood there, she would just kind of look out the window and stand and watch, and, yeah, I don't know, that's it, there's no real joke here, ghosts are fucking real, that's a, that's a true story, uh, I guess I'd say if she was one of the ghosts in 13 Ghosts, she would be called the Warm Smile, because she just had this nightgown on, she had her hair in a bun, and, and she was a tiny little lady, like, five foot, at, like, five foot even, and, uh, she was just quite warm and adorable, you know, reminds you of your grandma, but anyways, let's go ahead and get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is your boy, Devon Taylor here, a.k.a. Daddy Disco on Twitter. And I'm very excited for this episode. We have a jam-packed, stuffed episode. Um, It's a long one, as you can see. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, just try to get straight into it. We're talking 13 Ghosts. I have two wonderful guests, two people that I've been friends with on Twitter for years, and then we finally get to, you know, interact. Technology, it fucking rules, right? But, uh, yeah, so the only thing to talk about before I get into the episode, of course, is, oh, the giveaway. So the giveaway starts this week. I am doing a Bloody Blunts scare package. And I am giving away a scare package that will have a variety of Bloody Blunts horror-related goodies in it. But the main attraction of this scare package is the Scream Factory Special Edition Blu-ray of 13 Ghosts. So we are starting the giveaway this week. Uh, Wednesday is when the competition goes live. I mean, not competition, but you can get more entries by doing more things, such as following me on social media, retweeting certain tweets, uh, leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Look at that. 
I'm not going to go on about the five-star reviews. You know what to do, guys. Just fucking leave one, please. I would love you for it. And But getting back to the giveaway, yes, uh, just make sure you are following the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club Twitter and Instagram pages at BloodyBluntCC, which is where I will have the details and link for the giveaway so you can get as many entries as possible and you will find out whenever I announce the winner. The giveaway is going to go two weeks, maybe three if I... No, it's going to go two probably. So yeah, make sure you guys are following those social media pages so you can figure out what's going on with this giveaway and maybe you might walk away with a special edition Blu-ray of 13 Ghosts. So now, let's go ahead and get to this week's episode. All right, so I'm super excited to introduce our guests for today's episode. We got uh, two of my favorite horror homies from online on Twitter. We get to interact online for so long, and then we finally get to do something like this, which is super fun. Um, they both write for Nightmare on Film Street. We have uh, Rachel Reeves and Jessica Rose. Rachel, say hi. Hello. And Jessica. <laughs> hey, guys. This is, uh, like I said, this is super excited. Glad to have you guys on board. So um, to give the uh, listeners a little background, uh, Rachel, so what's your horror background? What uh, do you do? Who all do you write for? That kind of jazz. So right now, a senior contributing writer for Nightmare on Film Street. And I also recently started working with uh, Rue Morgue a little bit. So that was super exciting. And uh, just working on expanding my reach whenever possible, you know, in between the the day job, of course, which takes up its time. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I do. And in terms of like my background, I feel like I got into horror pretty late in the game. Really? Uh, Yeah, like, like maybe like high school. I didn't really have like an older sibling or friends that were into it. So I kind of my dad was really into action films, like mm-hmm. anything with Stallone or Schwarzenegger. And my mom is super into murder mysteries, like any BBC murder mystery, like that's her jam. So I feel like in a weird way, like those two kind of combined and somehow like horror sort of got met in the middle. Yeah. I mean, you were around <laughs> darker pulpy material and it just kind of, that was your gateway. And then you just, and then you just went further is all it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I just went further. And then in high school, I just started renting movies, you know, VHS from my local grocery store and, you know, picked like, oh, Scream, that looks cool. And oh, Faculty, that looks good. And Disturbing Behavior and Cruel Intentions and like all those that came out in 13 Ghosts. <laughs> like that yeah. was one as well. So kind of just spiraled from there. It's not a bad era to uh, start your horror journey. And that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Jessica, and who are you all writing for these days, and what are you doing, and your background? When did you get into horror? Uh, I've been into horror my entire life. I've always been that kid that loved it. I loved everything scary, spooky. I don't even know when it really, truly started, but um, yeah, it's just been a big part of my life, and the writing has really helped, you know, give me a community to talk with, because None of my friends around here, I live in the South, like horror or anything like that. So I'm definitely like the weird girl, but I embrace it. So, um, but it's really cool because I'm a senior contributor for Nightmare on Film Street, like Rachel. And um, I do some work for Modern Horrors. So they'll tap me to review some movies here and there. 
Nice. Yeah. And, you know, it really is great. Like the online film space, like what like what it's given for people and especially like at these times like this is like the greatest times to have like you know these like you know connections that you make with the community the horror community online and I think the horror community online is like I mean I don't think we're even being biased and saying that it's one of the better online communities to be a part of as far as like you know not being super toxic and things like that. I would totally agree with that. I mean, there's always like the the small little group that, you know, is annoying or whatever. But I yeah, like meeting you guys and finding a community like that means everything because like I don't have a ton of friends in my day to day life that are super into this stuff. And, you know, my husband tolerates it to a certain degree, but uh, it's it's it means everything to have a bunch of people that I can gush about this stuff all the time with. And it's not weird or, you know yeah it just it just means so much yeah i mean it, it it's great like i mean my i a lot of my friends in real life there's it's about 50 50 like and especially some of them are now coming around to horror which is kind of nice like because they're kind of you know i think this you know especially like this like i'd almost say it's a golden age that we've been in in these like 2010s of you know really getting other people into um the community you know with some of these more modern um indies and stuff like that so it's like, you know, some of my friends have kind of gotten into it a lot more. But like, yeah, like most of my friends aren't on Twitter or anything like that. Like they're they're um, So it's like, you know, they follow me on Instagram. They see the stuff that I do, but they don't uh, like they don't see this stuff on Twitter. That is just like I'm like, do I have like this like separate identity almost online? It's, you know, so it, it is just great that we uh, we do have like that kind of place, um, and it's and great to be able to do things like this. So to so the audience can uh, kind of get to know you guys a little bit more and your movie tastes and such. I asked you guys to uh, bring a couple like hidden gem recommendations or something that you've been watching recently. Which one of you guys wants to go first? Rachel, you go. Okay, cool. Uh, so hidden gem. I say this every time. But I still think not enough people have seen it. And my hidden gem is Blood Diner. Um, I think it's an incredible horror comedy and really deserves more attention than it gets. Yeah, it's from like 1987, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, directed by a a woman named Jackie Kong, who was super young when she did it. I think she was like 22, 23. And it's, it's incredible. It's about these two brothers who their uncle... Um, ends up getting killed and he is uh, diminished down to a brain in a jar and he taps his nephews to uh, appease this goddess named Shitar and it involves a lot of murdering women of course and they have a, a vegetarian diner and it's I, I, this is the worst description ever but it's crazy and it's amazing and that sounds I so just bizarre. Think that, I just think that everybody should check it out. <laughs> that sounds like something bizarre that you would like hear like out of the seventies. So like hearing that in like a late eighties movie, I'm always intrigued because I don't yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. So that and, and, and it's really interesting because she like when she first finished it, they went to get like a rating on it, and it came back, and they were like, "There's no way we're giving you a rating. You're gonna have to cut all this stuff out." And she basically said no. I'm not cutting anything. And Vestron video, this was the studio putting it out and they backed her and they released it as unrated, I believe. 
uh, which, you know, diminished the amounts of theaters and stuff it was available to. But I think, I just think that's really cool. She stuck to her guns and studio backed her and, I think that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I love, yeah, I love sticking to your creative guns. And of course, 87, that is around the time that like VHS was really booming and it created this extra market for, uh, you know, movies to be released like in that fashion without having the restrictions on them. And now we also like kind of saw like a re another wave of that in the modern age with streaming. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of been the same thing um, for some of these indie directors to just be able to put it out, make their own movie, and, like, do it that way. But back in the 80s, yeah, people were a little bit more concerned with uh, stuff like that. So that's pretty badass of her to uh, do that. And then, Jessica, what's uh, what's a recommendation you got for the people? So I've been thinking about this since you asked me to be on here because <laughs> I was like, I have to think of something really good. And every time I thought of one, it was taken. So I was like, Ooh, <laughs> demons is like always at the top of my list because I don't think demons is seen enough. And I think it, the, like the effects in it are so perfect and it's still so scary. And then demons was mentioned. And then I was like, Ooh, the house is October built is also another really good movie. And then and someone just I don't feel like a lot of people talk about it. They're like in our community, we talk about it, everything, but I was like, no, this is like something I would recommend to people. And so that got mentioned and I was like, okay, I have to think of something else. And so I was like, I'm going to go into this and just like the top of my mind, I was like, I got two. So, um, I, I'm a big Adam Green fan. I really like his movies. Mm-hmm. I think he's really cool. And so the first movie I actually ever saw of his was, um, digging up the marrow. And I love it because I love the documentary style. I like that it's super real. And then there's like the incredible monster, effects and the the monster um like the illustrations and all that by Alex party is just like it was just a perfect combination and it's so well done because it's not it it's really like authentic looking and i think it was a good time so that's my number one recommendation for people added to my list also because i also have not seen that one so you need it's fine. And I know what you mean. Like, it's like hard for us to like say like, yeah, like all the guests have been like, you know, what is a hidden gem for us? Because yeah, like, I mean, the horror community kind of covers everything from top to bottom. So it's always hard finding those like, you know, like what would or like you said, like, what would you recommend to like, you know, maybe somebody that is outside the horror too, that would be like something that interesting. So, you know, they aren't always you know, those people that are always like, oh, all mainstream horror is bad. And like, you know, it's like, okay, I'll give you something you definitely haven't heard of. So that's a good pick right there. Yep. You yep. said you had uh, a second one? second one might be um, my stream and stream uh, recommendation for next month, but it's Among Us. And right now it's on Tubi. And it's it's this little like haunting film about this couple who lose their son and they go out into the woods to try to communicate with him. And it's just... It's so simple. And I think it is one that like people have not seen. I checked it out just a few years ago just to it, I think it just started playing because I was not doing anything and it was my uh, my automatic play and it was really, really good. So I might recommend it so that people kept their eyes on it. Nice. Did you have a second one, Rachel, by chance or did you just have one? Well, recently I know it's not a hidden gem because it seems like everybody's watching it, but I really loved Host. I Yeah, I mean, it's only like an hour long, so I just like popped it on in the middle of the afternoon and I thought it was great. I think they did a really good job and it kind of like, 
I, I mean, they, you know, it kind of encapsulates the whole environment that we're in, but in like a really positive way, I think it shows the creativity and like the potential of what you can do. Like if you, you know, if you're really pushed to do it and my mom called me like 40 minutes into it and my cell phone rang and it scared the crap out of me. So I was so mad at her. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one, it's not yeah necessarily a really hidden one, but oh, everybody yeah. should watch it. Cause I think it's great. I yeah. still haven't watched it yet. I was holding out because holding out to watch it with my lady and then we were going to watch it, or I was planning on watching it this weekend. And then this was like the rare instance that she goes, hey, can we watch something not scary or weird this week? <laughs> and I was like, all right, but I'll still wait because like I always have this like weird luck of like whenever, because um, I show her movies all the time, you know, but like we rare, like whenever we watch like a movie that we both haven't seen, you know, it always happens to be like a lame one. So since this one has been like so good, I'm like, okay, I will hold out for you for this one. But that's been very hard, um, especially <laughs> they did like a watch along this like pa- uh, a couple weeks ago at the time of this recording. Um, but uh, but yeah, I definitely cannot wait to check that one out. A couple of recommendations I have myself is um, one recently that uh, came out. It is uh, The Pool, which is also on Shudder. Um, did either of you guys watch The Pool? I haven't caught it yet. It's a, it's a Thai film, and it's very simple and silly. It's a man, by inexplicable causes, gets caught down in the bottom of a like very, very deep pool that doesn't have like a ladder or anything to like get out of, and then it empties. And then he's stuck in there. So it's him trying to get out of there. But then an alligator, of course, gets in the pool. <laughs> and it's just, uh, you, you follow this guy and he's in this pool for like a week. <laughs> by Because uh, the way that I tweeted about it afterwards, I said this movie is like the love child of Crawl and Final Destination. Because it's just like, the, the fun part of this movie is it's so simple. And it's like, why can't this guy get out of the pool? Like, why is it th- so hard? And it's just the movie keeps coming up with, like, ridiculous reasons and sequences to thwart his escapes and make things harder for him. His girlfriend ends up in the pool stuck with him, too. And it's uh, <laughs> it's just this whole thing. It's very... It, and it is, like, a little bit campy. It's a little silly. The Like, the CGI on the alligator is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. But, like, you get used to it. And then it just, like, is kind of part of it, you know? Um, it's a, it, it was, it's just super fun. And if you want just like kind of a really silly watch, but there are like some tense scenes in there too. Like there's some violence. Um, there's some good, uh, body horror in there as well. Um, it's a, it's only 90 minutes, real, real simple, but, uh, it's a, it's a fun watch. It was definitely a really fun watch. That one's a Shudder original. So highly recommend that one to both of you guys. And then... I had one that I wanted to mention on, uh, I wanted to mention this a couple weeks ago on like um, the American Psycho one while I was kind of talking about like surreal movies, um, was Braid. Have either of you guys seen that one? Oh yeah, I reviewed it for uh, Modern Horrors and that was bizarre and bonkers and beautiful. That it was, was yeah. one of the first ones. It's, it's, it's interesting and gorgeous. Yeah, it's uh, directed by Mitzi Peron. And it's um like these these two gals they are they need money you know they're drug dealers they need some money 
because they want to, you know, get away and all that jazz. So they know that they can con one of their childhood friends who um, wants to act out these fantasies and scenarios in her lap in this like beautiful, beautiful, like rundown, like gothic mansion. Um, it's just a it's a great like I, I call it I put it in the luscious horror category like it's a very like just the set design is really gorgeous and there's lots of aesthetic choices to the movie um some drug you know sequences that like they do some cool um techniques on and uh it's just uh it's a really fun one and it's just like you know the the twists that kind of keep coming and um you know just kind of watching how this whole scenario plays out and from where it starts to where it ends are two completely different places um it's a very bizarre great music like i said it's also just like great to look at some like real good daytime horror type stuff so highly recommend you check that out rachel as uh the rest of you guys as well yeah 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 so before we get to um the movie that we're talking about 13 ghosts of course um, we have to get into, we gotta, um, you know, grind it up a little bit, put it through the genre grinder, make it up all, all fine so we can really enjoy the, the complexities of this piece of artwork, um, <laughs> if you will, with me. So um, what are the some of the subgenres that kind of stick out to me on what make this movie work is, you know, we got some haunted house elements, we got some gothic horror elements, we have... I don't know if you can say that early 2000s is a subgenre, but it has like the early 2000s have a very distinct aesthetic to them. And then there's also a lot of comedy that like this is like pretty close to being in horror comedy territory. It's hilarious. I mean, just like whether it's trying to be or not, it's also hilarious. So we'll go over to Jessica. What what uh, kind of w- makes these things work for you? Like, what are your favorite elements? Like, as far as like the subgenre stuff go, I I like humor a lot when it's done appropriately, and I could never define what is appropriate for me as far as like humor in horror goes. It just has to hit right. Um, it's kind of like, um, Jordan Peele does it a lot. All of his, all of like the little elements of humor in his, like where it's almost like a little tongue in cheek and it's there, but it's not, it's not taking over. It's not turning it into half horror, half comedy. And I think that that's what 13 ghosts does a little bit, mostly because of, um, Matthew Lillard. So he's just got those like little quippy one liners in there and everything he does is always just a little funny, even Mm -hmm. when he's being super serious. So I think that the humor works for me there. And I love a good haunted house story. <laughs> so, yeah. And this is like, this is the, uh, this is the mansion of haunted house stories. Man, we'll get to the house, obviously, <laughs> when, we, when we really get to get into things. But, um, but yeah, like, I really like how you uh, kind of put that because like I said it's almost a horror comedy, but it's not. It's still pretty horror that just has a lot of funniness in it, like a scream does. Like, that's not overtly a horror comedy, but it's very funny and entertaining and uh, what it does. But yeah, like, who doesn't love a good, just classic, good old haunted house thriller? And uh, Rachel, like, what really works uh, about this movie for you? It's also got like this, it's everything you guys said, but it's also got like this weird like adventure movie feel that I think was like really common also like in the early 2000s. 
And I think maybe it's partially because like the family unit, Mm -hmm. the family aspect to it, but it's got, yeah, it's got this strange adventure tone, which almost comes across like a family movie or like an action movie. But then it's also got all this, all this crazy, you know, makeup effects and gore and stuff. So it's kind of a weird juxtaposition of the two, I think, but that that does really work for me and then just like like you said the early 2000 vibe of the colors and the editing is just a a glorious time capsule of ridiculousness but in the best way in my opinion yeah like i mean it like i definitely totally agree there like the the adventure sense in a way like i mean it's like it's like a game in a way you know the house is kind of like a puzzle but then it's like of course, you know, everything is so sequential in the way that it happens. Like, don't worry, we're going to count these ghosts up, like, many a times across this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm so glad somebody else noticed that. I was like, Casey <laughs> forgot how many are there. <laughs> Did you forget the title of this movie? Did you forget you're watching 13 Ghosts? Like, oh, man, they hit you, like, very much with it. But, like, so it kind of feels like a video game, like the levels, you know, um, as it kind of goes along. And, I mean... And it's paced out that way as well. But uh, but yeah, and we'll definitely, definitely get to the editing choices uh, going on during this movie. But uh, but yeah, like, I don't know, like I like one, I didn't like realize like kind of uh, the gothic horror influence. I kind of forgot uh, how much of that is in the film with just uh, the way that the house is built, uh, the sets within the house, you know, and um you know, in the score as well. So there's like a, uh, this really cool Gothic tone to it that I really enjoy. Um, but then it's just, uh, it's really cool that they were able to, you know, um, layer this, like, you know, this real deep mythology, which we'll kind of get into later on how they also expanded upon that. But like, even just the glimpses that we do get, um, we like, you know, they really do build out a lot of ideas across the movie. Um, so it's like, you know, as we kind of go along, they just like kind of keep adding a little bit more on top, a little bit more on top. So it, this movie is super fantastic. So let's just go. And get into the movie. Thank you, Willem Dafoe. Third 13 teen ghosts (laughs) released in 2001. Don't get it twisted. I mean, on just about everything that's listed on, that's how it's spelled out. That is the name of this movie, damn it. It is not just regular 13 Ghosts, um, which just, uh, it, that's such a 2001 thing to do. Um, it, it was directed by Steve Beck, who also followed this up with Ghost Ship, which I totally forgot that they were directed by the same guy. That's hilarious. It totally makes sense. And this was uh, produced, didn't realize, by Robert Zemeckis and Joel uh, Silver. Did not realize that. That's very interesting. Um, uh, people know who Robert Zemeckis is. Joel Silver, um, he's a producer um, known for producing the entire Lethal Weapon series. So just a very random thing for him to hop onto. And this is loosely based off of uh, the 1960s movie, uh, 13 Ghosts. Um, Yeah, so just a quick little synopsis. We're not recapping anything here. A family, they're very uh, down on their luck. They're going through some things. Mom has died recently. And, um, you know, they hear from this eccentric uncle that they have that they received this super, super dope house that they're going to go to and live in and they're taking care of and 
oh man, is it too good to be true? Of course it is. There's ghosts in the basement. <laughs> and um, we figure out um, that Cy- the original owner of the house, Cyrus, was a uh, ghost collector, amongst other things. Put them all in this house. And uh, he wants to uh, open the eye of Satan. And, uh, well, I don't really know what he wants to do. It's never really too clear on what he like actually wants to do about this. Like, they just kind of talk about opening the eye. We don't really know. But that's not important. Power. Power. He power. wants all the power. <laughs> Is it just power? I was like, wait, what did he want? <laughs> like, I think they say something about, like, if you open it, you can see the past and the future. <laughs> oh, and that way you can control everything. <laughs> so, you know. that. Yeah. It's you know. so vague. Like, absolutely vague. I love it. But it's like, you know, we're, we're not going to get to all that. Which I almost kind of wish we did. I kind of wish there was, like, a little bit more of a bombastic ending and, like, that we did get this, like, Eye of Hell sequence and stuff. <laughs> that would have been a lot of fun. But, so, yeah, so this movie came out in 2001. It's the most 2001 movie. The, the Your first thing that you just love about this movie, Jessica, What what is it about this movie that's so magical? I like all of the ghosts. I like that there's like these characters and I know we're going to talk about that later, but there, I, I wanted to see more of the ghosts. Every time one came up on screen, I was like, okay, now I want to see the next one. And I want to see what the other one looks like. And even just, um, you know, we rewatched it last night to freshen up. I wanted to like pause on every single time they showed a different ghost and just look at them and like, just take them in because they do show them all a lot quickly. And I think it's that editing. It's that 2000s, like quippy montage, but I just like that there's all these different personalities in these ghosts and, you know, all the backstories that we'll probably talk about later. But I I think that that adds something special to it rather than just like one ghost with a cause as to why it's haunting the house. It's like all these different characters are trapped in this one house and you really don't get too much, you don't get to know them too much, but just like from like what they look like to what their name is, I, I think that that gives you like just enough to really just want to keep watching yeah like i mean we can go ahead and like touch on like real quick like the cool thing about the movie you know um is the the movie comes out like you said like they give you just enough glimpses of most of them of course some of them are featured more than others um for you know boob reasons be it or because (laughs) you know they show the most terrifying ghost the most but um, yeah, so we see some a little bit more than others. Like some of them, yeah, we literally just see like glimpses of some of them. Like uh, the torso, which is this plastic wrapped just like upper body. We see that like one time and it's like, wait, what, what's going on with that guy over there? Like how'd that happen? But and he's the, terrifying. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Uh, fun fact, it was they <laughs> have a guy rather than like, like, I don't know, like, because that easily could have just been, like, a, a prop or whatever. They had a guy actually do it and then just CGI'd his, like, head and, like, limbs out rather than just, like, building a prop piece for that. I love that. Like, that's um, hilarious and amazing. I got to tell Nick that because he was like, that's my favorite one, which is also why I love that, you know, you could have, a, like, a favorite or one that, like, you're like, oh, that's so cool. That's my that's my jam. That kind of murder. 
But um, yeah, Nick, Nick liked the torso. So when we were watching through the credits, because you have to listen to that end credit song. Ah, yeah, we're talking about that too. <laughs> had to listen to the whole thing. But he was like, who played the torso? I want to know who played the torso. And I was like, I don't think that they listed him. We missed it. Sorry. Yeah, no. It's a he, his favorite. He's a real dude. I love that a guy got paid to come on set and do that. And like that was his claim to fame of that movie. That's amazing. But so, yeah, you go on uh, what was cool and why we are doing the giveaway of the Scream Factory special edition Blu-ray of 13 Ghosts. I really want to keep it for myself. Like it's, it's so beautiful to look at. But um, and it does have the same feature that was on the uh, DVD of Thirteen Ghosts, which is this full-on like separate mini documentary that they uh, have Cyrus narrating the backstories of each Thirteen Ghosts, and they wrote out really cool and interesting stories for each one. And I remember, whenever I was younger, I would literally watch the movie. And then I would watch, you know, I would like kind of listen to the recap of the ghost. And then I'd watch the movie again just so I can like, because then I was like, oh, hey, now I know which one is which. Uh, Rachel, who's your favorite ghost of the bunch? My favorite ghost, I was thinking about it when I was watching it. And for some reason, I really like the torn, is it the torn prince? I printed out the list. Oh, nice. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. translates really torn- well to a podcast. But uh, for some reason, I think that's really interesting that's the baseball Um, player one the baseball player yeah yeah. he's in it a decent amount actually Mm -hmm. i didn't i guess i kind of forgot how much he's in it as well like you know out of the 12 that are focused on obviously there's some more than others but he's one of the one that is kind of focused on and yeah i always enjoy seeing him on there and who's your favorite jessica um, I really like the the juggernaut, and I think that's because of the beginning. That opening sequence is so good, and so I always feel like he like stuck with me the whole movie, and he was like the the scariest and like the most like aside from um, the jackal, Guinness, the jackal. Um, yeah, he was like like the heavyweight guy <laughs> that you're like, eh, yeah, I don't want to out between either one of you. The the jackal was like the scariest for me because I remember just like you know. Um, that is like an image that's very much associated with the movie and was just like, I mean, just super creepy. But at the same time, I was like always excited for when that scene comes up, you know. Um, but I like how you uh, brought the juggernaut. That's perfect because I want to talk about the beginning of the movie. I think that is like kind of the it's such a it's a really great opening because we do like we do get like his backstory, you know, through like the exposition that he was already this killer and then he, as a ghost, he's been killing more people. He was uh, shot down in a gunfight in the junkyard. And, um, you know, so the opening of the movie, um, we are introduced to Cyrus, who is the uh, head of this operation. He is collecting this ghost. It's one of the last ones that they need. This is number 12. So just by this intro, we already know that he's collected all these other ones. We know he's done this a bunch of times. Um, we meet a Dennis Rafkin, the uh, MVP of the movie, Mr. Matthew Lillard himself. And um, I mean, it's a great intro to him as we learn that he is like a you know psychic medium of sorts. And that's his job to like, you know, detect the, the feels of the ghost and all that jazz. And he, he touches things and gets the, the 2001 editing flashes every time he like touches people and he can detect the ghosts and stuff. 
And uh, it's just like, I mean, it's a great tone. We already get some um, amazing quotes at the beginning of the film. Uh, a truck full of blood, you gotta be shitting me for the for the bait. <laughs> it, uh, absolutely hilarious. Like So it's like, we get the one-liners out the gate. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just like a fucking scary-ass sequence. They kind of cut back and forth between the way we can see the ghosts. And uh, it's just, it's super fun. Like, do you, what, do you love the opening as well, Rachel? Yeah, I, and I think that speak that opening scene speaks a lot to what I love about the whole film. Um, it's just, it's huge. It's a huge, you can see the budget. You can see the scale of it. You can see the scope of it. You know, the towering, ridiculous junkyard. I mean, is that how they really stack cars? I've always wanted to know. Like, is that really how it is? Because that seems very unsafe. Um and yeah, the truck full of blood and the cube and all those poor randos that end up getting killed by the juggernaut. Yeah. Just everything about that opening scene sets, you know, the precedent for what's to come. And to me, it's just ridiculous and crazy that that even happened in a film like this. Like they put that much thought and effort and money into that opening scene. And I, I, I love it. It's all just perfection <laughs> speaking of money it's a it was a 42 million dollar budget horror movie what it's like, that zemeckis money man like him and jules i mean it's dark castle their whole i mean they started dark castle because they wanted to remake all the william castle films mm. and like clearly that fizzled out pretty quickly <laughs> um but I mean, they're both heavy hitters and they had the money to back it up. And you see it like these films don't look cheap. So I appreciate that. Which is amazing. Like, I mean, I, I it's cool that like, you know, horror has always been like the cheapest, you know, genre movie to make. And you can I mean, think of all the indie movies you could do with that. Mark Duplass could make 87 movies with 42 million dollars, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like. But at the same time, I miss that. Like, hey, like give somebody, especially give somebody like, you know, like a freaking Robert Eggers. I mean, his are I mean, he what he does for such a small budget. I would love to see what he does with fucking 30 million dollars. Like what? Like, that's insane. But um, you don't want to have big budgets because then they get controlled by other people. And that's why their movies are so good. They do. I mean, that's for sure. But at the same time, like, I mean, we just give it to them anyway. <laughs> we just don't get that with horror, you know? And I think that I, I would love to see that a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, the opening. So we do get to see Dennis. We do get to see Cyrus. And then, um, the family. We have, um, we have Mr. Tony Shaloub as Arthur. Uh, we have Shannon Elizabeth, a, uh, horror movie veteran herself. And then we have Rod Digga as their nanny, who is uh, in real life younger than Shannon Elizabeth. Didn't find that out until like a few days ago. Hilarious. Um, and then there's uh, there's little Bobby, who's uh, who's so cute. And then I forgot how like little he's in the movie, because once he gets taken, he's like gone the like whole movie. <laughs> but he was a, he was a cute little kid though. But uh, we ha we have a really good cast here, which I really love. Like they they do take the time to really like get to know this family and kind of establish that. Like, because uh, uh, you mentioned that Rachel, like the the family aspect that um, is in the film, um, is that something that kind of stuck out to you on your rewatch, Jessica? You know, it did because I feel like um, like family drama is so big in like horror now, and I was kind of watching this and I was, <laughs> it's. 
it's good for what it is, but I was like, wow, they kind of just like gloss over like a whole lot of things. Like just not that it was insensitive, but it it's not like the family horror that we have now where everything is so super saturated in emotion and, and just like really, really heavy. If this was like, you know, fun 2000s where it's like you know mom died in a fire and let's crack a joke about it and it's funny (laughs) like that I I, it stuck out to me because I I you know it's it it hits hard and especially like you know like that opening or it's not like an opening sequence but it's like the uh the title opening credits yeah it's going through the house which I was like I don't know if this is like brilliant or if I hate it because it's so (laughs) tacky but I was like no, no, it's good. I like it because it gives you all that background and then you don't have to focus on it later, which I don't know if that would have been a good thing or not, but it's it's different. Family drama is different now. Yeah. I don't know if it's for the best or not. Probably for the best. I mean, I was kind of thinking about that too. Like, uh, I like the title credits. Uh, yeah, we kind of, it, it's just the camera panning around the house and we kind of see the pictures and all that. But then there's this very dramatic, um, like voiceover going on, like just explaining the whole, that there was a fire and then she was caught in it for longer, but then she went to the hospital, she lived, but then died in the hospital. And, you know, we get all this in the title credits while I was like, Okay, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. And the score for it was pretty good, too. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in on this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely like I was then also thinking, I was like, how would they do this? They would do this way differently, you know, if this movie was made now. Like, because I could like see this movie, like if they did like go like full on into the family stuff being like one of those like two hour long, like kind of, you know, like family movie and it's more about that and the relationships, but we get just enough to where we <laughs> like the family, I would say. You know, it's just enough to be like, all right, I like them. They're kind of cute. I kind of buy it, except for the, <laughs> why do they have a black nanny if they can't afford things? I, uh, I still don't have an answer for that <laughs> by the end of the movie. Um, but I, I, I appreciate Rod Digga being here in the movie though. Anyways, she does provide some good comedy, even if there are, uh, you know, some also very stereotypical dialogue that she had, but that's okay. I, I still dig this family quite a bit. Uh, how do, how do they say their last names? The Criticos family? Criticos? Yeah. Yeah. I, it- yeah, I- Shannon Elizabeth's character really like I don't I don't know man. like she <laughs> sticks out so hard but I, I get why she's there because of when the film came out but I find that dynamic I was I, just... like how old is she supposed to be I'm so confused exactly <laughs> like is she high school is she college like I, I I never have quite figured that out and yeah but I also think Rod Digga doesn't get enough credit I, I feel like she's you know, also an MVP of the film. I mean, she ends up saving everybody at the end. Like she, she saves everybody. It's because of her that like, yeah, everything happens. So. She, she saves everybody. And I will say, even though, like I said, it was like, it's a weird dynamic of just her being there and like, yeah, how old is Shannon Elizabeth in this movie? Um, if she was supposed to be like a teen, she definitely didn't play it young, you know? But I don't, maybe maybe she's a college student, and since the death, she's back home now. I, we don't know. But uh, but Rod and it Digga- all happens over like six months too, because they like say that later, and it's mm-hmm. like wow, you got because 
they also mentioned like, oh, we've been like, we've moved several times and I thought you fixed our credit. Like I thought you cleared up that credit problem and all these bills are, it's like, wow, that was a rough six months. Like I'm not like trying to gloss over it, but like it's a lot that's happened in six months. But that yeah. also seemed weird. Very, very fast. I mean, they they wanted to get us to this house ASAP. They really did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Rod Digger does get uh, redeemed for having to put up with the odd writing choices that she was dealt with by getting to. She saves everybody at the end. She miraculously survives because I was kind of thinking like that, that house gets destroyed and she's like in the gear room. And it's never, she just comes strolling out for the very last scene of the movie, gets the, gets to have her scene on the way out, and then she gets to do the end credits song as well. Mirror Mirror by Rod Digga. It's not on her Spotify, unfortunately, but it's on YouTube. Good enough. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, of course, we got to talk about the true MVP a little bit more. We got to talk Dennis Rafkin. Jessica, give us some Matthew Lillard appreciation here. I mean, it's it's the one-liners. It's the the facial expressions that he has is like really hysterical. And um, my youngest sister, her her boyfriend Hank, looks like a combination of Matthew Lillard and uh, Woody Harrelson from Cheers, like uncanny. And so. I knew I liked him because he's a, you know, he's a good old Southern boy, but I knew I liked him because when he first started dating Emily, he said, um, he knew I liked horror movies and he was like, Oh, have you ever seen 13 ghosts? I love that movie. And I was like, that's a good pick. So I was like, <laughs> all right, cool. I like that. It wasn't like, have you ever seen Halloween or anything like that? It was like, like, I was like, Oh, that's a pretty, it's a pretty good choice. And we still haven't all watched it together. So I told him, we were talking about it today and I promise him we will, but I think it's that he, he looks just like Matthew Lillard. So it always just like chimes in with me that like, it's that funny, like it, like it's like a weird charisma that you can't help, but like really like, even though like, I guess he's the, he's technically the reason they're all there. Cause they let him know that a good couple of times that it's all his fault that all the ghosts are trapped and all that. But you, I, you still can't hate him. He's he's just got that Matthew Lillard. He'll always be like kind of stew from Scream, but not as evil. <laughs> so I I he's definitely like him as Dennis Rafkin has to be one of my like top ten horror movie characters. Really, I I mean I don't blame you like that. Like I mean Math like you said Matthew Lillard. He just has a very distinct energy that he channels that like especially and i mean and matthew lillard just has been great to the genre community in general i mean he's shaggy from scooby-doo of course he's our live action scooby-doo and gotta do some animated ones too and then of course you know Stu from scream i mean and he just like yeah he just brings that that energy and it's perfect because he is that character that explains everything to everyone multiple times (laughs) and obviously that character can get annoying when you write a character in like that to just like you know be this exposition delivery machine but when you have an actor to do it like that like Matthew Lillard can and bring the charisma that he does 
um, it's it's perfect. And I was trying to pick. I mean, there were so many quotes, and you know, he does provide so many quotes. I was trying to find the best clip to provide. But so this is the one I'll give you guys is um Matt is Dennis explaining something to Arthur as he does many a times across this movie. Man, this family's dumb and I love it. But uh, here's here's some uh, good uh, good old Dennis Rafkin. Stay with me. I used to hunt displaced spiritual energies with your uncle. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, PK agents, revenants, uh, 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 like wraiths, wraiths. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. I'll, I'll do this the easy way. Ghosts. Arthur, I used to, I used to hunt ghosts with your uncle Cyrus. Goats? Ghosts! Ghosts, <laughs> goddammit, listen to me! <laughs> like oh man such a such a great exchange and just like his like i mean he's just so manic and it's it's hilarious uh what rachel what's your favorite dennis rafkin line i mean that that's a good one right there and i I also just love when i think it's rod diga asks him like you know can you keep me safe or can you make sure we get out of here and he's just like i guarantee nothing (laughs) like no like i don't know why i just always love that attitude and I just, what I think is cool about the character of Dennis is that he kind of is a different sort of psychic or medium than I think that we get presented with a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. his whole process of getting visions and connecting, or linking, I think is what he calls it. It looks very, it's very painful, and it's very physical, and it's not so much of the kind of ethereal, peaceful sort of medium that I think we get presented um, a lot with. And because of that, it's, yeah, it's a gift, but it's also a curse at the same time. And I think that he really demonstrates that a lot. and that, you know, through Matthew Lillard's performance, a lot of people see it as like chewing scenery, but it's like, I think it's fantastic. I, he's really selling like how intense and how physical and draining this experience mm-hmm. is for him. So I think that that really just is a really interesting portrayal of his gift. And I don't think we see that enough. Yeah, they they made it a whole well-rounded thing. Like it wasn't just a thing to build his character off of, but like you said, like the portrayal of it just like him being in pain and like, you know, everybody else just sees him as wanting to make money off of doing this and he's like, I mean, yeah, I'm making money, but I mean, you see what I'm going through and then the way that he also puts it towards the end when, you know, um the gal is um, you know, they're going back and forth and he says, he's like, you know what? He's like, I could do this and it's something I can't, you know, control or hide. And people think I'm a freak because of it. And Cyrus was my friend and he accepted me. And it was like, you know, like, and just like that brought it just like really around. It's like, he is just like a very well full formed character. Like, I mean, can't praise Matthew Lillard enough for this, for the role, but also written very well as well. And I think that's huge. Yeah. When he says like, he was my friend, like that, I, that speaks volumes. I think like, here's a person who struggled with this, like their whole life. And all he wanted to do was be accepted. And yeah, this person was taking advantage of him clearly, but also like he believed him and he, you know, encouraged him to use this talent that he has. And, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking almost that he, you know, he considered Cyrus his friend. It's, I don't know, a toxic relationship, I guess, on 
on some level, but I think it speaks a lot to how Dennis, the character, struggled with his own abilities. Yeah, I mean, just it really brings it home. And But again, we can't stress the quotes here enough, guys. Like <laughs> the, the one that I, I forgot about that's really funny whenever he's talking about... Um, He's talking about the ghosts in the basement because <laughs> he just like has to tell these people a million times. Like, they're like, but wait, why can't we go in the basement again? He's like, there's ghosts in the basement. <laughs> what? Ghosts? Real ghosts? I don't care about ghosts, but no, there's ghosts. Uh, uh, and he goes, um, someone asked something about the ba- He goes, <laughs> they're like, they're like, in this basement? <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he goes, yes, of course, this basement. If it was next door, I wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like that just killed me because I like I mean he just has it just like because like they just keep asking they like set themselves up for it <laughs> so it just yeah, um he, he says again he, they ask about the basement and he's like did I just say there was a petting zoo down there like yeah. so that's like another line but it's also another time that somebody's asking him about the damn ghost in the basement the exact same thing that he just told them about and arthur just can't, like arthur says it a million times too i don't care about ghosts i don't care about spells i don't care i just need and it's just like oh my gosh but your son and he's probably taken by ghosts that's what i'm trying to tell you and then like finally when you know everyone's forced to finally put these glasses on which can we talk about the glasses for a sec like um i was young i'm probably like i'm a, i'm a baby so i was young when this came out I remember taking sunglasses and I would wrap glow sticks around them <laughs> and run around in the basement with that. And I'd turn the basement lights off. Good times. Good times. That is amazing. When was the first time you guys saw this movie? I think I saw it when it like initially came out on VHS. So it must have been like. I mean, I don't know when in 2001 it came out. I didn't see it in the theater. It was definitely a VHS rental pick for me. Yeah, I think it was the same. Um, I know that my best friend, Emily, who's also the same as my sister, um, my best friend, she still lives in New York, and we would sleep over each other's houses all the time. And it was like the faculty and the craft and 13 Ghosts was like our like sleepover movies. And so I remember watching this with her. So it, it was it had to be like a blockbuster thing that we saw because I don't think I saw that in the theaters at all. Yeah. It was just those movies that was there <laughs> in the pile of sleepover movies. <laughs> I would love to see this in theater. Like I feel like this would be such a fun like midnight movie screening, you know, like have people dress up as their favorite ghosts. <laughs> like I wonder if any of those screenings have happened. That would be so fun. Cause I'm uh, curious. Go ahead. Rachel. I'm curious how it would sound in a theater because the sound design is intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's very loud and very like jarring for a good portion of the film. So I'm curious how that would play out in a theater. Yeah. Uh, I watched it like we have a pretty good sound bar. And uh, yeah, it was nice cranking that bad boy up because like, I mean, the sound design's like so cool. Like, I mean, the way all the mechanical sounds of the house, you know. And, like, when the panels would move and unlock and shift and stuff, like, that would have been, like, super cool to, like, really experience in the theater. So, let's talk about the house for a minute. Is Like, yes. this is, this is, like, I mean, this is a top five horror house, for real, in my opinion. Like, I mean, this is dope. Like, 
What sticks out to you, Jess? Aside from like the obvious, um, I thought it was pretty interesting. I wonder if they kind of grabbed it, but like the cubes um, reminded me a lot of Cabin in the Woods. I was like, mm. oh, I've seen that before. It was in Cabin in the Woods. And I was like, oh, that's so like, there's like this like weird like carpen- uh, compartmentalization to the house of all these different like rooms that are separated, but they're not. And I kind of like that there's like those like containment cubes in the basement making up like this like giant basement that this eye is in the middle of or where was the eye? It was in like the middle of the house, right? Yeah, I I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) There was like no architecture to it, which is cool. (laughs) I know. I wish we would have gotten a glimpse of like, I mean, we did in the book, like we got what the machine looked like in the book, but I wish we would have gotten like just a quick glimpse of the blueprint of this house. Cause <laughs> I mean, but that also like kind of plays into it. Like you lose, you lose track of the, the architecture and like the, the house, like the hallways and of course, cause they're shifting as well. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the movie cube. Um, just like a smidge, like if there were clear ones in, in the movie cube, um, have either of you guys seen cube? Yeah. Yeah, like, so I kind of got that vibe a little bit. Um, it was, like, you know, they actually built this. It They used over 45 tons of steel and over 2,500 pieces of full-length glass. And it took, it. Uh, they built it in five weeks, um, which is just pretty fucking rad. I couldn't find, like, how much of the budget was on this house, but I got to imagine... Uh, a pretty good amount and they like actually had like moving glass doors and everything like that like it was like fully functional which is so cool ah i had two things kind of about that that i was hoping to bring up so number one do you guys i have this is this is me like thinking really hard about this do you remember in like the late 80s and 90s when like clear stuff was trending like clear sodas and clear telephones and like clear everything yeah (laughs) so up they all had like a clear rain jacket yes so like a part of me is almost like i wonder if this is like that clear trend on like a really (laughs) big scale (laughs) okay that's one thing and then two just the actual like when you think about how they actually made this film, one of the things that I think is really cool about the house is like, how much time do you think they spent making sure that they didn't catch um, reflections in yeah. all that glass, like cameras and, you know, the crew and like just seeing things you didn't want to see, like that had to be like choreographed almost to not catch the wrong things in that glass. Like to me, that's, pretty incredible because that could not have been easy and how many shots had to get thrown out because like god damn it there's a grip in the glass <laughs> like you know that kind of stuff like get uh, me a I new grip it's like get a wonder here. oh man yeah i totally yeah i didn't really think about that until now but i was like yeah they probably did or like maybe that would have been like some of the few times that you cgi because they didn't do it much um this was i mean they had all sorts of actors and these makeups like I said, the house was uh, all real. Um, uh, really, the only CGI is like towards the end with like the, the actual like machine part and like that. And I mean, for two thousand one, it it looks fine. Like it, it's not bad at all. 
Um, but yeah, just the the attention to detail for this movie. There's there's lots of behind the scene footage stuff that you can find on YouTube, and that I'm sure is included on like the on the Blu-ray and stuff. But um, but you know, it's just like th- like that's a like again like we just haven't had like we don't get as many of those movies now that kind of have just like these like we do really feel the scope of them putting the work in and like and that like showing we just don't get that as much anymore you know so i just i do appreciate that so much uh in this movie i want to make sure that i shouted out um while we we're talking about the house it is uh the art direction oh man i started typing out their first name but then stopped their last name is beach <laughs> <laughs> meant to shout out the art direction let me find oh i still have the imdb up uh art direction by tim beach <laughs> i just like realized i had it like half typed out and then stopped that's probably a stoner thing you know and then uh set decoration by dominique Fauque lemite we're gonna say that's uh close enough but shout out to them on their impeccable work on this film so it's funny because like you know we're we've talked a lot about the characters and the in the background when it comes to talk about the actual plot of the movie i realized not a lot happens until like a good like i kept i was taking notes i kept saying things were happening early but then i remember pausing it and it was like 55 minutes and then it's like there's only 35 minutes left i was like oh shit like and we're (laughs) like and we've only seen two ghosts right now like whoa and like like you know we've only seen like the juggernaut and the naked one up to this point and they spent like i mean again i'm glad that we like spent a lot of time like we did spend time with the family but still not a lot but yeah it uh i did kind of forget that it it does take a lot but then that last 30 minutes they pack it in there though they pack it in there real good um what was like uh one of your like favorite scenes that you like you remembered like that stood out to you before and then like What's like some that stood out to you now on like rewatching it? Um, I really, really love the lawyer scene, the mm. lawyer death. I just, I know that I remember it being like pretty vivid from when I watched it when I was a lot younger. But then like watching it again, I was like, that was really well done. And I, not a whole lot of movies do that where they show that whole like slicing a body open and just like, I think that that's just like so fascinating but it's also grosses me out like I don't want to see that in Atlanta they had the um the bodies exhibit for a long time I don't even know if they still have it but I know that like my friends would go and it's like basically an exhibit where all these people's like all these cadaver parts are all just dissected and they have like all these parts that are like curated on show and I'm just like that's I don't know if I want to see it for real so whenever I see something like that in a movie um, I think it's really cool and I it held up still it was like funny but and then um, they make the crack about did the lawyer split and I was like <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> perfect and, and then they go back to him a little bit later and I was like oh there's the lawyer he's still there and it, I, I, that always just like sticks in my mind I don't know why. Yeah, Rod, Rod Digger hitting us with is that half the lawyer? <laughs> uh, you know, we don't get we don't get many vertical bisections, and that one was definitely a treat. Um, I mean, they did have practical effects. There's a smidge of CGI in there, but like most of that was uh, practical effects. The only time there was like the CGI was um, when his like face moves a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that's a that's a really fun scene. I absolutely love it. What about you, Rach? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, a lot of the practical effects, like the ghosts and stuff, because I because I, I think Greg Greg Nicotero was involved mm-hmm. um, mm. with some you know some other fine folks, I'm sure. But like, it just shows like how incredible the, like all those ghosts look, and it still holds up so well. Like, there's so much of this movie that does hold up and is really impressive even by today's standards, you know, 19 years later. And yeah, there's some CGI at the end, but I really noticed this time rewatching it, like how much of the film is really practical. Yeah. That last, you know, 20 minutes or whatever is pretty CGI heavy, but the rest is, is great. And it holds up fantastic. And those effects, like those are going to be timeless and iconic. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, uh, Greg Nicotero was a uh, special effects makeup supervisor on the film, which is super crazy. For those of you who don't know, he's famous for his work on The Walking Dead. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, it just it does hold up just like super well. And I remember on the original DVD, there was also um, there was a special effects like featurette of them like doing the makeup on certain ones. Like, uh, like showing how, like, on the hammer, like, the, like, rail spikes were, like, foam that they, like, put in and, like, the way they, like, and, like, his, like, teeth effects and stuff. And, and of course, like, the jackal, like, having the, the open metal cage, like, head and, like, the, like, exorcist-looking makeup. Like, it, it does hold up just, like, so, so well. Absolutely love it. And it's, like, yeah, and, like, and just, like, even the fact that there are certain ghosts that we only get like glimpses of, but like still thinking of the effort that they still put into just for that one glimpse, you know, mm-hmm. is uh just super cool to think about. Oh man. It's so good. So, so good. Um, I'm losing track. I did have one here. thing. Maybe I can ask you guys, cause I've never yeah. really thought about it before. So at the very end, right. So Cyrus gets chopped up in all the spinning (laughs) sphere things. Why does Arthur jump into the middle? Because, like, he doesn't actually accomplish anything by risking his life to sit in the middle with his kids. (laughs) Like, could he not just wait and figure out a way to, like, stop everything? Like, did he really have to risk his life to, like, you know make that leap of faith <laughs> like over to the middle i don't know well i never had noticed that before <laughs> well um uh shana elizabeth's character she does uh make a reference she goes she goes how did you know when he, he she, she said how did you know we were gonna be okay and he says i didn't i just didn't want to leave you guys so basically he was saying he risked his life to be with them in case they all died <laughs> so that the way they could die together <laughs> that's because <laughs> i remember thinking the same thing but then she asked that and i was like and then in his response and i was just like uh, well all right i guess that makes <laughs> yeah. sense like it's very dramatic but i'm not convinced it was entirely necessary <laughs> i mean yeah I Nick just... asked me the same thing and i was like I think it was just for dramatic effect. Yeah, like at all. (laughs) I think I all, well, I mean, this is a stretch because the movie just didn't connect the dots, but now I do remember what was the, the spirit liberators name? Uh, Kalani, Kalina, 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 because she told him 
that the machine or and everything could be stopped if a pure soul like sacrificed themselves out of love and then she tell and then we find out that's not true because she's doubled in with Cyrus which that's what I totally forgot about um like <laughs> it had been a while since I watched this movie and then I was like oh shit I totally forgot she turns on him and whatever but yeah so um but then Arthur never finds out the truth that he doesn't need to sacrifice himself so maybe that was also a thing that he was like kind of willing to get sacrificed and then so if he did get chopped up maybe the machine just would stop uh, uh, that's a stretch. I yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, another thing I didn't really pick up on ever before was like, so when Kalina finally, when it finally gets revealed, like she's like a double agent, right? She immediately gets really weak, and that kind of sat a little weird with me this time. Like she's been like so tough, and like she's got all the answers, and she's got all this stuff, and then the second Cyrus shows back up, she kind of is like, I did everything you asked. <laughs> and, you know, gets these puppy dog eyes, and kind of just, like, her whole demeanor changes. And that that is a little bummer, and it's maybe something that hasn't aged quite as well, because it's like, I would have liked if she had, like, still stayed, like, really tough, and maybe just turned, like, evil tough instead of, like, weak and diminutive tough. <laughs> so, I, I don't noticed, know. I noticed the exact same thing. I was like, oh, this isn't sitting well with me anymore. Not that I... I don't know, maybe just, maybe I'm more aware now, being older, you yeah. know, being like, oh, why are you, no, don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't let him push you around, Kalina. Yeah. Yeah, she, she caved really quickly, and I always thought she was, like, really cool. I love the, um, I love the sequence of her getting all the stuff ready. I still don't know what the name of the song is, and I wrote it down, I meant to look it up, but I always liked that, um, that sequence of her getting ready, getting the dynamite and all that. And I was like, this chick is cool. She's got a leather vest and leather pants. <laughs> and she's um, she's Mrs. Honey from Matilda. And she's cool now. Nick asked me, he was like, what movie was she hot Forgot. in? And I was like, uh, all of them? Matilda? And he was like, no, I don't think that was it. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't. it definitely wasn't, Nick. So, yeah, I we still haven't figured out what he was talking about, but yeah, it was like disappointing because I was like, Oh, I always thought she was so cool and her death was really cool. But that five seconds where she's just completely just like jello in his hands. I was like, Oh no. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. But yeah, I, yeah, I did love her office too. It was very like Indiana Jones ish. <laughs> and I liked it. Yeah. I totally, um, won. She was Miss Honey. Totally forgot that. <laughs> uh, she totally is Miss Honey. I don't. I'm looking at what her at some of her listings. What was she hot in? I mean, she was in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I was like, oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> she is in this movie, Fracture, with Anthony Hopkins and Ryan Gosling. I recommend that to everybody. It's a really awesome. fun courtroom thriller. With a very young Ryan Gosling, and I, um, and she is um, one of the other lawyers in that, I believe. But, um, but yeah, um, I totally, yeah, I forgot about the turn, and it didn't, yeah, it didn't sit well because it would have been cool just to have like, yeah, just like this like badass like, you know, like when she's introduced, she like comes in in slow motion, and <laughs> with the flares, and she already has the glasses on. Yeah, she's got the plan, and she tells everybody what's going on, and. Yeah, it would have been uh, definitely like cool. And yeah, it was just kind of, kind of weird because like he 
like, and then him, like, his reactions to her, he's not even, like, faking it anymore, like, selling it well, like, that he, like, needs her and stuff. Like, he's blatantly just using her, and she was just like, ah, like, yeah. It definitely didn't set well, and then her ass got smashed in between <laughs> two of the walls. Yeah. I wish we would have gotten an aftermath scene of that, like, um... Like, like, just, like, from one scene, it's just, like, splattered, like, a. it would, like, look like one of those, like, um, you know, DNA, you know, little, uh, microscope slabs or something, but, like, yeah, the little slides, yeah, yeah, it would have been that on a big scale, that would have been real fun, um, but, yeah, that, that, that scene is really weird, um, but, I do also just want to shout out the scene where the jackal um, attacks Shannon Elizabeth's character. I thought that was still really fun. Um, it is a, again, this movie utilizes that 2000s editing to the best of its abilities. Because, I mean, <laughs> you can say that does it like really work? I mean, it's annoying, yes. But, I mean, it's kind of like the same with the Saw movies, too. You just learn to appreciate that that weird stylization of it. But, um, like, just by the way that they were seen, because, like, obviously, like, for some people wearing the glasses, they see it, but then there's characters that don't have the glasses on, so they don't see it. So it's, like, kind of given that view, and uh, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, how they do in, like, A Nightmare on Elm Street a lot of the time, like, some, like, when somebody's getting attacked by Freddy, and that you just see their body being, like, thrashed around. I thought that was very effective, especially when it comes to, um, like, that scene where, you know, the jackal's slashing her back up and her face and everything. Um, it's just, uh, and pushing her along the ground, which, uh, odd choice, but hey, he's having fun doing it, though, you know. Um, that scene really holds up and that, of course, poor Dennis's death, you know, he freaking puts Arthur behind the glass and just gets thrashed by the hammer and the juggernaut. Like, damn, oof. Like that scene, it, 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 it hits and then he becomes a ghost too. And he's so much more calm, like after he's dead. Yeah. Like that's the other thing, like his whole demeanor changes and it's like, finally he can just like relax. <laughs> And I think that that's pretty incredible, too. And I, I, I'm glad that they handled it that way because it makes sense. Like, he doesn't have to worry about, like, you know, straddling that line anymore. Like, he's fully on one side now and he can finally just, like, just be himself and calm down a little bit. <laughs> I definitely did love that as well. I, uh, like, I mean, like, like, I'm pretty sure, like, he, like, probably, like, had his, like, shoulders up and, like, stressed the entire movie, and then you can just, like, literally just, like, see that he was, like, oh, he's just cleaning his glasses, giving Arthur the pep talk that he needed, which was, you know, it's cheesy, but it works. Maybe only because it's Matthew Lillard doing it once again. Like, if somebody else was doing this scene, it would be extremely goofy. Uh, but I love it so and then um, we already shouted out the, the ending of Rod Digga as well. Um, I did want to shout out the, the lead up to the lawyers um, to his death when, again, we, we feature, um, what was what was that ghost's name? I don't want to just keep calling her naked chick. That's disrespectful. Uh, oh, the pr- what is it? The princess? The Yeah, the angry princess. Angry princess. <laughs> And um, she was like, uh, we find out in her backstory, she was a botched 
uh, plastic surgery enthusiast and got a bad thing on her eye, and so she killed herself with a knife in that bathroom. <laughs> That's... Why was Shannon Elizabeth's character... Her one characteristic was that she loved bathrooms. There was... <laughs> That's the first thing she notices when they watch the little video sequence. She said, everybody gets their own bathroom. And then they get there, and she's talking about the bathroom. And then she goes exploring, and she finds the bathroom. (laughs) You're right. Like, that was, like, her one thing, and they, like, kept mentioning it, like, to set this one scene up. Like a a young woman, she loves the bathroom. (laughs) Like, because we women love bathrooms. We can put on our makeup and take a bath and... That guys don't do. <laughs> I think that was the one way that they could like make her like a youthful young lady. I think you're totally right. Yeah, I think it was they they didn't want it they didn't want it to be the kitchen, which that's one thing. We never see the kitchen in this house. <laughs> I would love to see you're what the right. kitchen <laughs> Yeah, where's the kitchen? But I'm glad they didn't do that. I would love to it's see in what the basement. The, it's yeah. in the basement. I would love to see what the kitchen looks like in that house. I was just like thinking about that. But yeah, instead of the kitchen, it's no, she's, she loves her some bathrooms. Um, but yeah, so that's where we like for, we see her and then, um, but then I remember, uh, when the lawyer has to go to the basement to go get the money and he's like snickering at all the, at all the ghosts. And then he initially sees her and he's like, ha ha. He, he says nice tits and then he says what's what was the quote uh what is it poor man uh what what is it baby poor management and i was like yeah. what are you even talking about <laughs> he was a he was an odd character um i'm glad that he did, did, go ahead oh yeah i just i didn't mind seeing him go away <laughs> yeah i mean he was swarmy and he did his and he did his uh swarmy thing um, because there were a couple things like whenever he was like you you immediately like knew he was like in on it because like every time Arthur would say something and then he was like he was like was Cyrus a hunter and he goes <laughs> something like that and like makes a weird <laughs> snicker and then it's like oh my gosh like this dude's like not even trying to hide it and then like he like does it again later too like he knows it like what's in the basement in the basement huh and it's just like he like keeps making that weird smile so um i did i did appreciate him a little bit actually and then he has a good death on top of it so i appreciated that a little bit not much to talk about with little bobby because you know just uh filming issues with little kids i'm assuming that's why he's just not in the movie much but i love him at the beginning though he's like obsessed with like death and he like mispronounces words he was just fucking adorable but um but yeah he like literally disappears 20 minutes into movie and we don't see him till the end i always he's a little he's a little true crime podcaster yeah, he's a true crime podcaster. He's like recording all these doc, you know, documenting all these deaths and stuff. He, yeah, he, he was, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, which is so funny because he has that line where he says, "He's like, tell, tell Maggie that recording death is healthy." And I was thinking to myself, I was like, "That's really unhealthy." And then I was like, "That's kind of what I do every day. Yeah. Talk, talk, and write about death and like the most fantastical deaths ever." So I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's healthy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, he was definitely ahead of the curve. He was a little podcaster. He was doing it like a like like radio <laughs> style too. 
Um, it, it, when he said someone got decopulated, was <laughs> just so cute. Pre, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get from these kid actors, and this kid came through, so I wanted to make sure we shout out little Bobby as well. Do you guys have any final thoughts about Thir 13 Teen Ghosts that you have to get out there? I mean, that the spelling is, is one thing, for sure. Like, I have written about this film multiple times now, and I still, like, I struggle, so I'm like, I'm like wait, T-H-I- one no there's an r first wait one three i don't know why it's so it's it's a very dated thing and like in one way it's really annoying but in one way it's really endearing so that's i don't yeah that's a strange thing about that film and i'm not sure why they went that way but it is what it is i guess again it was the early 2000s it's just that's what they did and i think it's hilarious but they stick to it like i mean they really (laughs) stick to it that's the title card of the movie when you look it up online that's what it says i mean that's that's this movie's title and i always i do appreciate that so much (laughs) and what about you jess try to find it on the roku last night (laughs) try to search it and nick was like just type in 13 all the way and i was like no i know that they're gonna have the numbers in there somewhere because that's how it's spelled. <laughs> um, aside from just really loving it and then now loving it even more, watching it again and being like, this is something that, you know, it's like, uh, can you even call it like a hidden gem? Because I like want to recommend it to people now and people who haven't seen it. But um, I think it's like appropriate to have somebody watch. It's got... It's like that, like that level above like appropriate horror, like or, mm. or beginner horror. It's like the next step. It's like, yeah, this is something to get into. If you like something simple, you like scream, get into something a little bit more gory, a little, a little bit more scary. And I love that. Um, I love the end. I love the uh, all the ghosts walking free, and I love the the jackals last like scream into the night and i was like oh it's so good because we don't need like another like sting ending um because that's like that was also like super 90s is like a jump scare ending which they do kind of do now still which i am not a fan of but Mm -hmm. i like that that like oh it's out there still and it's released and i thought that was a fun time so it's it's a good recommendation there's so much to talk about there's so much fun to have and i think it's like it's not complicated, and I think that that's what makes it really good. I I like a good complicated movie. I like something that makes me think, but this is one of those movies where you don't have to think, but in, like, a really good way. And I, I definitely agree with, like, your sentiment of, like, yeah, this is, like, a good, like, a stepping a next step uh horror movie like okay you you like you like some of that stuff and you want to see, like, you do because you do get some good blood in here, like, you do get some good gore. Um, and it is like, I mean, it does have some like pretty good, like, I mean, it actually doesn't have as many jump scares as I thought it would, um, mm-hmm. going back into it. I actually like was expecting more jump scares throughout and it really doesn't. It just like kind of just like builds it up with like the, the way that shot and the, some of the camera movements and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it is uh, definitely just a, it's a really good, um, next step for people. And I think, I mean, what I say, it's a hidden gem. Uh, I mean, maybe not a hidden gem, um, because it definitely is like had like developed a cult following, like amongst just like the community in general. But like, um, but yeah, is it something that the everyday horror fan knows? 
Um, probably not. And it is definitely a fun, like, this is a fun group watch, of course. Like, every, like it's just, like, very fun because um, it does have, like, that adventure vibe to it. So to close out the uh, episode, let's go ahead. We're going to quickly go down the uh, the ghost list, and we will rate them uh, 1 to 10 on just how you feel about them between their design. We'll, you know, give the quick version of their backstories a little bit. So let's rate the 13 ghosts real quick. I mean, because they counted the ghosts. We have to count the ghosts as well. <laughs> Uh, we have to. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's debatable on who's the thirteenth. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll Dennis. say we'll say Dennis is the thirteenth. Um, but let's go ahead and start at the top. We have the firstborn son, a ghost of a little bratty boy named Billy Michaels. He loved to pretend to be a cowboy. One day, another kid challenged Billy to a duel, but Billy's cap gun was no match for the boy's real still. Real steel tipped arrow that Billy's ghost still carries, and it's like in his head. What the another kid like wanted to play so hard that he killed him? Uh, Rachel, rate the firstborn son four, four out of ten, four out of ten. Jess, yeah, I would go, I would go with a four, I'll give him a five. Cause he he is kind of just like you know creepy and he and he adds to the the late the the aesthetic you know he's he's like good horror furniture, I'll give him that <laughs> and he has a kind of a weird dark backstory so I'll give him an extra five. Uh, we have number two the torso. Uh, Jimmy the Gambler Gambino was a gambler in the early 1900s who caught the attention of the mafia after he lost a boxing bet and didn't have the money to pay up. The mafia cut him up into pieces and wrapped him in cellophane, dumping the remains in the ocean. His appear, his ghost appears as a torso with a severed head nearby, um, and he doesn't really do much. He uh, just kind of wiggles. We don't see him too much, but he's fun. Raid uh, the torso. I would give him a seven. Because he may not be, like, like, super threatening, but he would freak the fuck out of me. Like, I would be so scared if I saw that. I'm going to give him an eight because I like a good mafia story. And I think that that's a pretty interesting one, given that you're not you're not given a whole lot as to why he's a torso, why he's wrapped in the, the saran wrap or anything like that. So I think that that's, like, obviously, yeah, cut up by the mob. Yeah, I'll give him uh, I'll give him a seven. Um, just cause I do wish we got just a smidge more screen time for him. But, uh, but like kind of how we shout out earlier, like, I love that there was just a guy that came in to do this and he got to be the torso and, uh, and it is just like, uh, you know, crazy imagery. I always remember like the, the head wrapped in the plastic, like that's always like scared me for some reason. I don't know why I always thought that I would be caught in a scenario where my head is wrapped in plastic wrap, but that kind of freaks me out. So, uh, but yeah, so seven for the torso for sure. Uh, don't make any bad bets. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely don't make any bad bets. My dad is like a semi-professional uh, Texas Hold'em player. So I'll make sure to tell him, uh, don't get caught in the mob. You might end up a torso. <laughs> So next up, we have the bound woman. We only see a glimpse of her in the film. 
Um, Susan Legros was the richest girl in town and was very popular. Her one flaw was the way she toyed with boys and men. During her senior prom night, she was killed by a jilted ex named Chet Walters, a star quarterback, after catching her cheating with another guy. Um, she has She's in prom attire, and her arms are bound by ropes. <laughs> this is another just very distinct backstory. Uh, rate um the bounded woman. I yeah, I wish we saw a little bit more of her, and I find her story really sad. So maybe that's why I give her like a six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would give her a, a six. And fuck you, Chet. Yeah, Chet. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go six, of course. Uh, hail Satan, real quick. But um, yeah, I do just wish. I do wish that we did get to just see a little bit more of her, and it is a great backstory. Like, yeah, they gave her assailant a name as well, Mister. Yeah, fuck Chet Walters. But um, that's a that's a really funny one. Not funny, but you know what I mean. Uh, number four, the withered lover. This is uh, Mama Criticos, Jean. Um, she was a happy and devoted wife and mother. She died as the results of the injuries at St. Luke's Hospital. They pointed that out multiple times. Um, very random detail. But um, she died in the hospital from events before the be- beginning of the film. And uh, she is the only ghost that, like, obviously is trying to help the family because it's her family. So, um, rate uh, Mrs. Criticos. I, yeah, this one is interesting because it's like, well, she's not scary, but obviously there's a reason for her not to be scary. Maybe I'll give her a four because she's ghost number four. (laughs) She's important, but... I'll, and they, they also didn't do a ton of, like, really scary makeup on her for obvious reasons, I think. Um, but it also makes it not that impressive either. Yeah, I would go with, like, I would give her a five just so that she's at the half. And my mother doesn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be like, you give a mother. <laughs> a dead, burnt mother. Yeah, a dead, burnt mother. <laughs> a dead, burnt mother. <laughs> Uh, you know what I'm gonna go hard on her a little bit I'm gonna give her a three because I mean it's not her fault but it's because yeah like I mean this is their mom and they don't really do anything with it in the story you know aside from her just like trying to help them and then they have a scene where they say they love each other you know and like don't get me wrong the scene with Arthur like behind the glass that he has with her is well acted because you know Tony Shalhoub rules but um, they just never really wrote anything, you know, into it. And that would be something I would see if this movie was like kind of made in more modern times. They would focus a lot more on that. Like that would definitely be like a very important thing, like the connection or like it would kind of maybe that's what kind of leads them to the house. Or I don't know, like they just could have did some they could have just given us something, you know, this could have been an emotional like, you know, like helping people get over grief you know they could have had like just a better moment with that so and her makeup wasn't that good she mm-hmm. she just like kind of looked skinned she didn't really look burnt you know mm-hmm. um so i didn't you know, i'm sorry mama Criticos, you get a three <laughs> it's not her fault though you know she was just written poorly that's all so next we have the torn prince Royce Clayton was a gifted and famous teenage baseball player in the 1940s and 50s who caught the eyes of colleges around the USA. 
Thanks to his challenger, a greaser who set him up, Royce died in an accident caused by cut brake lines. Um, he carries around a baseball bat, has his Letterman jacket on, and has a fucked up face. Rate uh, the Torn Prince. I'm giving him an 8. I don't know why I have a soft spot for him, but like, I, re- I really like him and I like his story. It's like, yeah, he was probably an asshole, but his end was a little tragic as well. And yeah, so I give him an 8. Nice. I'm going to give him a 10 simply because I had no idea about any of these behind the scenes, like anything until it was maybe like a year or two ago when I did a list for Nightmare. And I think I did like Scorned Lovers or something like that. And I I can't even remember what it was now. Um, But I remember using him as one of them and doing a little like I wanted to get his name and all that and doing that I discovered that there was like a whole backstory which made me find out that there's all these backstories about these ghosts from when I was like growing up all I wanted was more of these ghosts and so I was able to get my hands on that and watch it and be like oh my god there was more and I had no idea and it was because of the probable asshole (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally feel you, though. Like, isn't that just, like, that's why I love that we have this, like, extra layer to the movie, you know, with with all of this. Um, He definitely has always stuck out to me, just, like, kind of in his design, too, and, like, you know, they have the fun scene of them, you know, when they're carrying the, the glass wall in the basement, you know, and then he's coming across beating it with the baseball bat. thought that was fun. Like, it was it was cool. And Oh, and the scene when um when he's trapped in the room, when Des is trapped in the room, and uh, Rodiga has to tell him, because she has the glasses, <laughs> where where he's swinging at. So, um, you know what? I will give him an eight. I'll give him an eight. Yeah. Cause I, you know what? Actually I'll give him a nine. I'll give him a nine. Cause I don't know. I like him a lot too. Just for the, the, the look, the backstory, he's got almost the full package. Maybe if you just would have gotten like a better set piece, you'd be top to your ghost, but he's uh he's pretty close. Um, next up, we have the Angry Princess, who I already mentioned. Dana Newman was a beautiful but abused lady who lived in the later 1900s. She had plastic surgeries to alter her perceived flaws, and after a botched experiment that mutilated her eye, she brutally killed herself in a bathtub at the clinic. Um, she is completely naked. She's covered in blood, and she has a knife. And she also is a bathroom enthusiast, likes to take nice baths. <laughs> Rate the angry princess. Uh, I'm giving her a nine. I think she's one of the most iconic ghosts in this, you know, of this film. Um, She obviously stands out for a lot of reasons. And I mean, her story is really tragic, too. Some of these ghosts, you know, don't really have they're just like victims of circumstance. And I think she's got kind of an interesting backstory uh, that I've always been fascinated with. So, yeah, I give her a nine. Nice. I also would give her a nine. It's it's a good backstory. It's still relevant. I think that that's pretty cool, like a more contemporary one. And um, I also like bathrooms a lot. (laughs) 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 We would get along. (laughs) Shannon. Uh, Yeah, I will go ahead and give her, I'll give her an eight. 
Um, she is definitely featured quite a bit. Uh, shout out to Shauna Lawyer for doing the full nude thing and doing it up. Um, you know, some some pretty good makeup. Um, I mean, it does her makeup doesn't match up with the backstory because there's like slash marks everywhere. That's a weird suicide. So I'll point a hole in that one. And plus. I'm more of an ass man, and we didn't get any dead ass in this movie. <laughs> so she gets deducted to an eight instead of a nine for me. Uh, next up, we have the Pilgrimess. Isabella Smith came to North America as a colonist in order to find a new life after being an orphan in New England. The tight-knit community ostracized ignored her and used her as a scapegoat because being accused of witchcraft when crops and animals mysteriously died. She denied the accusations, but she was trapped in a burning barn, but managed to escape unharmed. That sealed her fate, and she died of starvation after being condemned to the pillory that she carries with her as a ghost. Um, wow, so these actually do get longer as we go. <laughs> she has a very long one for not very being uh, featured too much, but interesting backstory. What do you guys think about the pilgrimess? I like her story more than I like, because, yeah, we just don't see her that often. We see her for, like, a few, like, really sharp moments, but um, her story, I think, is really interesting, so I give her a five. Okay, that's fair. I would give her a seven, strictly for female empowerment. <laughs> Bastards burned the witches. And it's really, it sounds like it really sucks because she... They, she was in that burning building and she escaped and then they and they were like you're clearly a witch uh, now yeah. <laughs> so now now to the stocks and like that sucks so <laughs> I'll give her another point on there I'll give her a six because of that as well <laughs> I didn't really think about that but yeah because um you know I never the barn is an interesting one but um because I remember another like tactic that I always thought was like one of the worst ones when they would uh, put them in a barrel with like rocks in it and then they would toss the barrel in the water and they're like well if they drowned she was human but if she gets out she's a witch and we're gonna kill her again <laughs> you know so um super super weird so cool backstory but we don't really get to see her much and i mean her look is i mean cool but all she does is like chase after them she doesn't do anything so i'll give her a six let's see next up uh these two are tied together, the great child and the dire mother. Um, this is, I'd say, probably the craziest backstory. I'll just say that ahead of my ranking. Um, so the great child, Harold Shelburne, was a special needs man who never outgrew diapers and had to be spoon-fed. Even as a fully grown adult, he often made baby sounds. After being mocked and teased and tormented relentlessly all his life, he caused a massacre at the old freak show where he and his mother, Margaret Shelburne, lived. Some of the freaks had kidnapped and killed his mother as a joke one night. The circus owner, Jimbo, had Harold mutilated beyond recognition. His ghost appears, as Harold did in life, with a small patch of hair, a bib covered in vomit, and in diapers, and he has a uh, an axe that he has that he apparently killed people with. Uh, well, do you guys want to consider them together, or we go rank them separately? Together. Mm -hmm. Together. Yeah. So to continue on, 
The dire mother, Margaret Shelburne, Harold's mother, was a little shy lady standing only three feet tall. She could never stand up for herself at the freak show where she lived. She was raped by the tall man, another circus freak, and gave birth to her illegitimate son, Harold, whom she loved more than life itself. She smothered and spoiled him from infancy and never stopped as he grew. This is the main reason for Harold's mental handicap. The two were abused to the point where Harold killed almost the entire circus after Margaret died. As ghosts, they remain together. Damn, like that is so, <laughs> everything is fucked about that one. Um, so go ahead and give a rating to uh, these two. Yeah, so these are my least favorite ghosts. And I feel bad because clearly there's a lot of trauma here <laughs> and a lot of issues. But I also just do not like them. Uh, <laughs> I just think the imagery is just really unsettling to me, but not in like a cool unsettling way. So I'm going to give them a three. Oh, wow. A three. What about you, Jazz? I'm going to give them a two because they are also like my least favorite. The backstory aside, because that that mental handicap, I, I'm not judging based on that. But whenever I see them in this movie, I always think of like all the exes that I've ever had who are like complete like giant mama's boys. <laughs> Sorry. But that's all I think about. And I'm just like, oh, it's just like a like a giant mama's boy. And it's just really grotesque and nasty and so that's all i think about they are my least favorite as well so that's a that's a good backstory and it and i wouldn't say the same thing knowing that but visually just strictly for the movie yeah no two i know it's it's (laughs) tough i gotta give them a good score because i mean that backstory is just so detailed and horrific and i mean i love like I, I mean, I don't love, but I love the imagery because um, they they remind me of this one photographer that I really like that does like just like these like weird portraits of like like very baggy, naked old people doing random activities. And it's just so bizarre looking. And that's like what I think of whenever like the like one or two shots that we do see of them in the movie is like her like standing up feeding him and i mean so like the image is good the makeup on them is like pretty crazy the backstory i mean i totally get the the mama's boy issues but oh man i gotta give them i'm giving them an eight like i got like just because yeah just the bizarreness of it and i mean yeah the backstory just really does enhance that and then like thinking about all that like when you're all of that like i mean it took me longer to explain that the amount of screen time that they have, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's you okay. Supported it. You supported it. <laughs> I do support it though. Um, next up we have the hammer, a happy and honest family man and blacksmith. George Markley was falsely accused of stealing by a higher up named Nathan and threatened with exile from their old Western town. George refused to leave as family was lynched by Nathan and his band of thugs while walking home from the town market one day. Seeking justice in a corrupt town, George took his blacksmith's hammer and killed those responsible, but the townsfolks chained him to a tree and drove railroad spikes into his body. His left hand was cut off and his hammer was crudely attached to it. He is super angry and he fucks Dennis up. 
before uh, the juggernaut finishes him off. The hammer, I think, would also be a pretty iconic one. He has a very distinct look to him. Um, his backstory sounds like a movie itself. Like that literally just sounded like the log line of like John Wick meets Candyman or something. Like, <laughs> oh, that would be weird. Whoa. But anyways, let's rate the hammer. I give him a ten. He looks amazing. His story is, you know, tragic, and he has every right to be an angry ghost. So all of it. Yeah, I, I love. I love everything about him, so I give him a 10. Yeah. I I also give him a 10. I love him uh, pulling the spike out. It's just like, uh, he, he is really iconic, just like um, the angry princess. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about him at first. And so, yeah, I, he does, he deserves to be angry. So definitely a 10, because fuck that racist shit. I'm fucking, I'm giving him a 10 too. I was going to give him a 9, but then I couldn't really think of a reason not to give him a 10. This guy is a top-tier ghost for sure. We do get a few scenes. He gets plenty of screen time, like, you know, just like him being behind the glass, like, intimidating uh, Dennis. We get to see a lot of that, and, like, yeah, he just, like, looks like the craziest when he has, like, the steam behind him. Where's that (laughs) steam coming from? Um, uh, yeah, he just has, uh, he has really cool makeup. Uh, the backstory is fantastic. Now I also just want to see the hammer movie as well. So, um, hashtag, uh, the hammer solo movie. Let's get that going. So yeah, he gets tens all across the board. Um, at number 11, we have the Jackal. Born to a prostitute in 1887, Ryan Coon developed a sick appetite for women attacking and raping strays and prostitutes in the night. He voluntarily went to the Borehamwood Institute for treatment to cure his problems, but the medical practices made him much worse, causing him to go completely insane after years of solitary confinement, having his head locked in a cage after breaking out of his straitjacket and developing a hatred of humanity. When the asylum burst into flames, he chose to stay behind and perish in the fire. Um, he has a straight jacket on. He has the cube head cage that is like somewhat open. He's also called the sign of hell's winter is the only like one that has a secondary nickname. So, you know, he's the real deal. Um, let's rate the jackal. I mean, he gets a 10 for sure. He's terrifying and unpredictable and he's for sure. Probably. I I mean, I would say he's the most iconic visually iconic, um, ghost in the story so yeah 10 i'm gonna give the jackal a 10 too because he stayed behind to burn in the fire and that's metal as fuck and so i think he he, he's the scariest and i know that dennis refers to him as the uh, the charles manson of ghosts or something like that and i always was like oh that's when you know that's the bad one so uh, yeah, 10 for the jackal straight across. I'm too afraid to give him anything <laughs> less than that. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely gets a 10. Like, he was the one that scared me the most whenever I was younger. Um, definitely some of the most visually iconic as far as his looks. Great makeup, great costume. Um, he had some great scenes in the movie. Add in the backstory as well. He is definitely 10 top-tier ghosts. And last but not least, we have the Juggernaut, Horace Breaker Mahoney. Uh, oh, well, he has two nicknames, I suppose. 
Horace Breaker Mahoney was born very disfigured and was an outcast his entire life. His mother abandoned him at a tender age as dad put him to work in the junkyard using his unusual strength to crush cars. <laughs> After... <laughs> okay. After his dad died, Horace went insane. He would take motorists and hitchhikers, tear them apart with his bare hands, and feed the remains to his dogs. After several of these murders, he was arrested. A SWAT team shot and killed him when he broke free of his handcuffs. As a ghost, he remained at the junkyard with his body riddled with bullet holes. Um, and they say at the beginning of the movie they killed nine people in death. But now he's up to over forty, um, in in after the ghost. So he's uh, he just turned it up a few notches after that. Had the iconic introduction. We talked about him a bunch, but rate the juggernaut. I think I give him a nine. Yeah, I give him a nine. He he's got a really good story. He gets a lot of screen time. Um, he's got some good kills and good moments for sure. I think the only thing I take off points for is his look is not, his, you know, he's got some things going for him, but it's not quite as like visually impactful as some of the others. Uh, but yeah, he's still up there for sure. Yeah. I'll give him a 10, but I do see what you mean, Rachel, about the, uh, the costume. Yeah. He has a lot more plain compared to everybody else. So Yeah. Now I'm like kind of toying, but I love that beginning. I love that intro. It's kind of like how you said that the the movie has like that action feel to it, because for some reason, the beginning of this movie always reminds me of the beginning of Jurassic Park, which mm. I don't watch. And I think that that's what makes me so afraid of the juggernaut is because it's like that, that thing that they're trying to get in the cage and it's got that weird, yeah, that weird like danger to it in that beginning part so i do i'll give him a 10 he 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 seems like the kind of guy i would want like last podcast on the left to do a for sure <laughs> and i like that he has more kills in death than he did in life so what more could you want <laughs> yeah um yeah it, i definitely like that uh comparison for for the cold opens like I, I definitely can, I feel that, and I like that. I will give him a 9. I was back and forth on giving him a 10, but his design is a little bit, yeah, it's a little bland. And they also, like, I wish they, like, did a better job of, like, showing the scope of how big he is, you know? Like, because we always, we never see, like, a full body shot of him to, like, see, like, I mean, I know that's hard, but... You know, I just wish they would have made him, like, really, like, been, like, a big... Like, you're telling me that skinny dude is crushing cars? Like, <laughs> come on, you know? Like, give me, you know, make make this dude, like, look, like, really fucking big that he can crush cars and rip body parts. But, um, but yeah, the fact that he's a ruthless killer and everything and the fact that he uh, kills Dennis by breaking his back on a corner is pretty epic so i give him a nine but uh he is he's pretty close though but because like that kill is pretty pretty rough for sure and um i mean and if we're saying that dennis is the 13th ghost i think we're all saying he's a 10 i mean like i I think we're all on the same page there right without a doubt the 13 yeah he's a yes (laughs) yes he's a 13 (laughs) yeah so so two questions just to close things out 
because I do love that it is a standalone. I do like that it's its own thing. I mean, it's already a remake. Could you see this being remade? Would you want to see it remade? Or would you want to see like a crazy, uh, after the fact sequel? I'd want to see a spinoff. Give, I mean, give us, like you or said, the, give us a Hammer movie. Give us a Jackal movie. Like, give them their own, you know, screen time and explore those stories. I don't I don't think I want to see a remake necessarily, but something new. I'd like to see it offer something new. Yeah, definitely not a sequel. Um, I would like a spinoff. And they can do 13 of them. So there's all these different characters, and they all seem to have, like, pretty thorough backstories that would be able to like, those are all featured length films in their own right. Um, I don't know if I would want to see it remade. I don't hate remakes. Um, it, it would just have to be done super right. I would like to see, I think I'm always interested to see remakes to see how somebody else is looking at a movie that I'm looking at. I would like to see how somebody else would see these ghosts. Would they keep, would they keep the same like characteristics and the same dress and all that? I don't think it would work. Yeah. I'm, you know, cause like I'm, I'm always open to remakes and stuff like that. And it's tough because I mean, I do think there's a lot of aspects that could be done better. And I think like there's, you know, different um, visual tones and aesthetics that could be put on it. But at the same time, like, you know, that's part of the reason we love it for just like how it is just what it is already. But, you know, so, so remake, I don't know. But then you reminded me that I thought of, um, I think this whenever I like wanted to do this episode, I remember, I don't know if it was to one of your guys' tweets or someone else's, but like a prequel of, of them hunting the 13 ghosts, you know, they could do the de-aging on Matthew Lillard, have him back (laughs) because we know that's a thing now. We could just have him de-aged and, um, and the other, um, the guy that plays, uh, Cyrus, uh, F. Murray Abraham, which his <laughs> brief couple of scenes, we never shout out what a scene chewer that guy. But, um, I could see like, uh, I could see a prequel movie of them, like, you know, also interspersing the background, you know but of them actually hunting the 12 ghosts down. And it's like, it could end where 13 ghosts picks up like <laughs> of them or of them, like prepping up to do that one, you know, like maybe the one before that, like almost like went bad or something, you know? <laughs> so like, I don't know, something like yeah. that. So I would, like I'd be James down for that. Treatment. You know, like a James, no, well, not a James Wan treatment, but like an insidious treatment. Or, like, the Conjuring, where it's all these different prequels, and they go back and forth, and, like, Matthew Willard could be, like, Elise, and just, like, be in the spirit world, helping somebody <laughs> find all these ghosts again. I think that could be cool. I think it could be fun. Um, but, you know, I'm very happy that, because um, it was a long time since I'd rewatched this, and, you know, you always do, like, worry slightly, like, is this as good as I remember? Because, like, I mean, it had been a good minute since I rewatched it, but then it was every ounce of fun, uh, as I've always remembered it. Like, God, it's, a, and it, and, like, uh, one of you guys said it earlier, like, it's a time capsule. It, it really is a great, because I don't really like the early 2000s era of horror. It's kind of my least favorite decade, if I'm gonna be honest. 
Um, but this is this is uh, chef's kiss. Like it, it, it it's amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on and talking this amazing movie with me, guys. Um, Rachel, where can the good people find you? What are you working on lately? Um, working on writing all the time. Uh, getting ready to do some Fantasia coverage, which I'm so excited about because because it's virtual. This is be the first year that I'll be able to participate, so that's really exciting. Um, you can find me on all the the socials: Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm at uh, Vinyl Girl, three R's, like Riot Girl. <laughs> Uh, you can find me there. Yeah, and I will have the links for that below, of course. And Jessica, where can the good people find you? Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. And I'm um, JJRose7, and JJ is spelled out J-A-Y-J-A-Y. Yes, yes, y'all. Uh, these two are such talented writers. I've always admired your guys' work. Um, like, I mean, it's like because it's been a few years for, for each of us. Um, I haven't written in a while, and I'm going to get back to it. I just, uh, it took up, you know, I'm a slow writer, and so, like, when we were writing a lot more, I just, like, was like, ah, I just, like, can't do it. But now that we're doing just, like, strict editorials and stuff, I'm ready to bring the weirdness back. Um, But you two are such fantastic writers, so I'm so glad you guys uh, stopped in on the show. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you. This was a blast. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we all got to actually talk and see each other and interact. Yes. I know. <laughs> Internet friends. It's the best. <laughs> ah, I love it so much. Oh, man, that was so much fun. I mean, did we spend 40 minutes talking about the 13 ghosts and ranking them? Yes, we did. Was it completely necessary? You bet your ass it was. Sorry this is a longer episode, but I mean, I fucking love this movie. I mean, I could have talked about 13 ghosts for a whole nother hour if if we wanted to. It's just such a fun movie. I was almost going to split this up into two parts or like do the ghost ranking separately, but nah. That's all a part of the experience. So hopefully you guys made it all the way here to the end. That was uh, such a fun convo. Like I said, it's just so great whenever you get to actually interact with people that you talk with all the time and you already feel like your friends and and the conversation just feels like you're chatting with your pals because that's what we were doing. We were just 13 ghosting it up and it was absolutely fantastic. So the only thing left is to tell you one more time Go on to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The best way to get the word out about this podcast is by trending on the charts and you guys telling people about the show, if you guys enjoy the show. I mean, I'm running two Instagrams and two Twitter accounts right now. I can only promote this thing so much. I need you guys. You know, word of mouth is the strongest, you know, promotion tool there is and will forever be. So... Just uh, leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and also tweet about the show. Use the hashtag BBCC, hashtag Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, and recommend this podcast to somebody that you think would enjoy it. Um, you know, anyone that loves horror movies will have a good time here. So, make sure you guys are just spreading the good word. Take a hit and pass that spooky shit. You know how I like it. 
and also um, go follow Bloody Blunt's YouTube channel because I have written and recorded a bunch of fun stuff that will be coming on the YouTube channel. We are getting a lot more video content, ladies and gents, so make sure you guys are following me there. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Tune in next Tuesday as we start dancing in September with my best friend Tyler Coleman stopping by to chat Sweeney Todd as we kick off a month of horror musicals. Make sure you guys are following me on social media at underscore daddy disco for my personal bloody blunt CC for the podcast pages. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>